there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. My name's Richard Byram and joining me on the line as usual this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League writer and he also submits reports and other stories for our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post. We're recording this show on Tuesday this week as Peter is heading off to Wembley at the weekend where he'll be hoping to see his tip Castleford Tigers lift the Challenge Cup after a 35-year absence. But just before we talk about that, we'll also be talking about Leeds later on in the programme and Wakefield and their upcoming fixtures, and also Featherstone's trip to Wembley, which precedes the Castleford game. A good weekend ahead, Peter. Yeah, it's always one of the exciting weeks of the year, building up to Wembley. We've got plenty of local interest this time with Castleford playing Saints and Challenge Cup final and an all Yorkshire eighteen ninety five cup final between Featherstone and York City Knights. So plenty to look forward to. I would hope it's going to be a, a good occasion. I think the sport needs a lift, um, the sort of lift that a couple of thrilling games at Wembley in front of a good crowd um, and covered by the BBC could provide. It's been a difficult build-up for both the Challenge Cup final teams, that's for sure. They've not had an, an awful lot of rugby under the belt. Castleford's full team won't really have played for three weeks. They had a couple of matches called off um, after they lost at home to Catalans towards the end of last month. And then Daryl Powell um, rested most of his Wembley lineup or his likely Wembley lineup last week when they played Salford and, and had 70 points plus on them. Um, it's strange, isn't it, that Castleford lost 60 points to, um, to six against Leeds in um, in the match before their semi-final. And in the match before Wembley, they were beaten 70 points to 18 by Salford. It's a different situation, though, realistically, because um, there, were, uh, there were five teenagers making the debut, a lot of fringe players playing against Salford. So I don't think they need to worry too much about that. What might be a concern is the lack of match practice for some players. If um, if Jake Truman comes back, for example, he's been out a long time with a, a back injury, got no rugby under his belt. Gareth O'Brien's not played for a month with a knee injury there. Key pivotal players for Castleford, and it's a big ask to go out at Wembley. It's going to be a hot day. Um, it's going to be an intense atmosphere and against a very good side. It's a big ask for them to, to immediately click back into their um, into the top form. But I've been speaking to a few Castleford players this week and there's a mood of quiet confidence among them. They say they're well prepared. They're confident that if they get their best 17 on the field, they can match anybody and that includes Saints. So it's, um, it's an intriguing contest. It is indeed. I think uh, there'll be a lot of adrenaline getting you through, as the old saying goes, this Saturday. Um, that other old cliche as well, if you can't get up for Wembley, you won't get up for anything. But as you say, even even though players have to have had some kind of uh, practice and match practice, match fitness, match conditioning, whatever you want to call it, uh, ahead of a, a really big game like that, but with all that's been going on on and off the field at Castleford and other clubs, it's it's difficult to see what else Daryl could have done. Uh, he, he couldn't risk throwing in players who were coming back for one game last Sunday, as you've just pointed out. And the previous week, they lost the game to COVID, didn't they? And, and the, well, indeed, the week before that as well. 
So, really, he has had to keep his powder dry whether he wanted to or not. And I'm sure we'll see exactly what happens on Saturday. But uh, say I feel for casting that way, just before the biggest game, to say they've had their preparations disrupted would be something of an understatement. And so even some of the players were having to keep their children off school in the hope that, you know, no... Covid was brought into the bubble, which, although it may seem extreme on one level, on another it's perfectly understandable, really, given the amount that seems to be going through our schools at the moment. Um, so, as we've said many times on here, Castleford have been your tip all along, and I sincerely hope that they do do well and and indeed win it. Uh, but I do think it'd be a, a really tough ask. But then again, we've seen in situations like this coming back to the famous Sheffield Eagles-Wigan game, that really on the day anything can happen in a cup match and uh, a team who may seem to have no chance at all are the ones who dig the deepest and, and get the victory. And let's hope Cass can do that. Um, they've spoken for a while now with Daryl Powell leaving the club about wanting to leave their own mark on the club's history and win the Challenge Cup for the first time, I think it's 35 years. And let's hope that they can do that and uh, give local people something to cheer after what's been a difficult 18 months or so uh, for society and uh, the sport in general. Um, see that uh, if they can get, you know, their best players back, then I'm sure that they will be more than capable of giving Saints a game. But Saints have had that crucial preparation on the field, which Cass haven't been able to get through no real fault of their own. So I think it would be a, an intriguing afternoon and uh, you say, may the best team win and, and I hope that that's Castleford. I think it's it's likely to be either a narrow Castleford win. Realistically, it, it's hard to see them beating Saints by two or three scores. Um, if Saints win, it might it might be quite comprehensive. Um, but as you say, you just you just don't know. It's one of those days where um, where anything can happen. Everyone talks about form going out the window, and it often does yeah. in a cup. And all we do have upsets. Obviously, Warrington beating um, Saints a couple of years ago was an example, um, a case in point. No one really thought Warrington were going to win it, despite a lot of Wembley experience, and they did. So Castleford are, are capable of going there and um, and lifting the trophy. We've said before that it feels like their name is on the cup this year with what's happened in the earlier rounds, the um, fantastic victory over Warrington in the semi-final and the two one-point, golden-point, drop-goal wins in the first two matches. You know, sometimes the fates align and, and maybe that's what's happening for, for Castleford this time. They're obviously going to have to make a decent start. It's going to be very tough to come back against Saints if Saints get into a lead. But um, Hull did that in the semi-final. They didn't quite snatch, um, get their noses in front, but they, they hit back with a, a strong spell towards the end of the game and, and made it interesting. And, you know, Castleford have, have got every reason to, um, to win this game with several of their players leaving, some that have been announced and some that haven't, with Daryl Powell going. It's a, a long, long time since the Tigers 
won a major trophy even longer since they won at Wembley. So um, there's plenty of incentive there, um, and it should be should be a good occasion. I mean, the 1895 Cup final will add to that. Um, I think the fact that Featherston are there um, adds a little bit of spice to uh, to both games. Really, obviously, Featherston cast fans aren't um, aren't the nearest and dearest. Well, they are the nearest, but they're not the dearest. <laughs> Yeah. Friends, I'm sure the uh, the cast fans that arrive early will be supporting York, and um, and the Featherston fans that stay on for the for the Challenge Cup final will be sporting Saints. That that one again, you would you would make Featherston pretty strong favourites, I think, to win that. They're in tremendous form. They've overcome a lot of adversity this season. Actually, they've had a lot of injuries which are continuing to this moment. They've lost quite a few players very long term um, and just two games before Wembley lost lost a couple of key men. Thomas Mins and Jack Bussey have both got leg injuries against London and, and have been ruled out. But it doesn't seem to affect them. They were missing... Uh, James Webster made it 12 players from his first team squad unavailable at the weekend and they went to Widners and won, which is never easy on the on the plastic pitch there and Widners have been finding some form so they're going really well they've only lost once this year and that was to Hull in the Challenge Cup and York's form isn't great they've obviously had some very good seasons um, in the last couple of years but this year it's just not happening for them they've played 13 in the Championship and lost 9 of them and um, they've had some quite hefty defeats. They were beaten 50 points to 20 by London Broncos at the weekend. You'd, we say form doesn't matter going into Wembley. You'd want to be on a better run than that, though, clearly. Um, but what they do have going for them is plenty of big game and Wembley experience. People like Adam Cuthbertson, whose last game for Leeds was um, nine months to the day before the 1890 Cup. 1895, sorry, cup final um, when he played at, at Wembley for um, for Rhinos and, and got a winner's medal against Salford. Last year, they've got Kieran Dixon who's played there. They've got other players, um, Ryan Atkins, people like that in and around the squad who've played at Wembley. So I don't think they can be underestimated, but I think it would take a very special effort by York to um, to deny Featherston a win and, and for the town of Featherston. To be going back to Wembley is something really special. And if they could win it, it would be just another little nudge towards um, their ultimate aim, which is getting into Super League. Of course, York haven't appeared at, um, at Wembley in 90 years. 1931 was the last time, or the only time the York Club have played there, and they've made huge advances in recent years. They were playing at Hewith, an amateur club, just a, a few years ago. They've now got a, a fantastic new stadium, um, and they're, they're playing at Wembley, so it's great for them to be there as well. But I, I do expect Featherston to um, to win and maybe pull away towards the end of the game after a, a competitive um, first hour or so. Yeah. Excuse me, just while you were talking there, Peter, just returning to the Challenge Cup final for one moment. Um, any incentives or pointers for Castleford to draw on? It's 13 years since Saints last won the Cup, which would be surprising and probably wouldn't be a good question for a pub quiz because most people would expect that Saints had won the Cup again since 2008, which was the last time actually I went to Wembley to watch the Challenge Cup final when they beat Hull. 
and so it's it's been a long time between. I remember that, yeah. You got a freebie, didn't you? I did indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> I remember that. You while some of us were working, you were yeah. um, you were whining and dining. I seen. I, I was. I was on the yeah. the Orient Express yeah. with uh, Mr. Gary Schofield and and a few others. Um, it was a great day out, actually. Uh, I, won an iPod, I won an iPod that day. Now I've been <laughs> to think about it. You had to guess the first first try scorer and the time, and I got both of them exactly right. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but I got the exact right minute and the, the Saints player. So anyway, that's by the by. Well, no, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. no, no, it's quite all right. It was a great day out. You know, I managed to take my dad and, um, and a couple of... Guys from work, Charlie Hazlitt and Tony Harney, and we had a great day out on the. We went down on the train, and then we were bussed into Wembley, and then bussed out of Wembley, and mm-hmm. back yeah. to the train, and uh, you know, back up to Leeds. So it, it was a memorable day on and off the field that day, and it was my f- first trip to the new Wembley as well. Uh, so that was interesting too. My first trip to Wembley originally was to see Wakefield in '79. So. It was nice bringing it full circle by my first trip to the new Wembley, being t- to watch rugby league as well. Although on that occasion, obviously, as a neutral. But in re- in recent years, as you were saying, there's been some tight games, hasn't there? Very tight contests, and you know, went to a point last year and tries and converted tries in many, of, you know, other than Leeds's blowout against Hull KR. So there are pointers there for Cass and uh, positives that they can draw on. And, and as you say, the, f- the very fact that fans are allowed in as well will surely help. I mean, you know, we've seen with the football in the last few weeks, regardless of the results, the very fact that the fans have been back made it more of a spectacle and, and got the teams, and uh, you know, going again and, and got the games up. And uh, it's been a much better spectacle. Uh, in terms of the 1895 Cup, I, I can't really disagree with anything you said there. I mean, Featherstone have been on absolutely superb form this season, uh, despite the issues they've had. They seem to have ridden over them all, haven't they? they? They're unbeaten in the league, and I can't honestly see them losing at Wembley. I think it'll just be another step on the road to maybe Super League one day. But you know, certainly very ambitious, and they're obviously very well coached and. The players that are coming in when others are dropping out, you know, it's not making any difference at all, is it? They must have a very good and strong and in-depth squad. And uh, York surprised me a bit this season, the way that they have fallen away a bit, particularly with the experienced players that they signed at the end of last season. You, you may have expected them to push on again, but it's been a bit of a struggle. And reading an interview yesterday in our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post, with Chris Clarkson, and uh, he was just saying that uh, a bit of a mentality thing with York at the moment. They've got into a rut and they can't really get out of it. He thinks that they will, but uh, just at the moment, uh, each game's ending in a defeat and whatever they try just doesn't seem to be working. Uh, but I think, you know, as well, off the field, I'm sure there'll be some uh, some lively exchanges between the Cass and Featherstone fans and... Uh, you know, all good natured ultimately, I'm sure. But uh, you know, I think that will again will just add to the occasion of the day. But, uh, if, um, just just on on that, uh, the game is being shown on the um, on the BBC Red Button service. So if you get a chance, if you're not going to Wembley and you get a chance, you know, tune into the 1895 Cup final because the standard in the Championship is um, is very good, and it's it's certainly worth watching um 
one player to watch out for is Gareth Gale, the Featherstone winger who stepped up from Featherstone Lions in the National Conference and has got tries coming out of his ears. He's got a lot of tries this season. 27, I think he is, which yeah. is quite late to be starting in um, in the professional game. But he's certainly getting noticed at championship level and, and I suspect one or two Super League clubs might be keeping an eye on him as well now. And... Um, I don't actually know if, if Wembley is. Everyone talks about the wide open spaces at Wembley. I don't know if it actually is a bigger pitch than than most normal grounds. It obviously is bigger than um, than somewhere like Featherstone or Dewsbury, but um, he might revel in in those sort of circumstances. So he'd be um, he'd be a, a player to keep an eye on. I think. Yeah, I've noticed his name in reports in recent weeks. Um, that well, it caught my eye because Gale's a great name for headline writers, anyway. <laughs> such as myself and and if they're scoring tries then it's even better with the old gale force and everything else uh, but yes it, it'd be interesting to see how he goes <clears throat> in fact when you mentioned that about the Wembley pitch I was only speaking to a farmer colleague the other day about um, the Wembley pitch in respect of football and how they always used to say at one time that extra time on the big Wembley pitch would take it out of a player's legs but that never seems to get mentioned anymore so whether the players are fitter or the pitch is smaller I don't know but that's one of our old sporting sayings that seems to have gone by the wayside in recent years I guess the fitness of the players is probably much better than it ever was and there's more options off the bench now as well in in both rugby and football isn't there so maybe maybe that's the reason why then just switching to Super League Peter a couple of games on Friday again the games are, are going on around the Challenge Cup aren't they this year in the past, it's always been a kind of free weekend, doesn't it? So that players and fans of all clubs can get to the games. But with the schedule at the moment and coronavirus and everything else that's going on, they're trying to get play, games played while they can. So we've got Leeds going to Catalans on Friday night and also Wakey over at Salford. Yeah, two, two, say two rearranged fixtures. Leeds should have gone to Catalans a few weeks ago, but that was when they had... Um, a COVID outbreak and then Wakefield's game at Salford was called off, postponed because Salford had um, had some players ruled out with coronavirus. Um, looking at Wakefield first, that obviously it's never easy going to, to Salford. There have been some good good games between Wakefield and Salford over, um, over recent years. Wakefield will be boosted by the good win they had against Wigan they've had a bit of time off um, and I think they're certainly well capable of despite some injury problems going there and getting a result but Salford will be on a high after the win against Castleford and now as we've said it was only a, a second string Castleford team but they still managed to score 12 tries and, and some of them were, were very good tries they were very dominant um, and and they'll be boosted by that they'll feel that maybe they've turned the corner I think and um, every win for for Salford obviously edges them just a little bit nearer to safety and um, and and Lee to um, to a quick return to the championship it's a big game for both teams really Wakefield could do with getting some away wins on the board the home form's very good not been so good on their um on their travels, and I think they just need to get over that and, and show that they can they can play away from home. 
Um, and I, I would hope that, that they're capable of going there and, um, and winning that one. Yeah. And I'm looking, sorry, Rich, sorry, Rich, let's talk about, about your boys first before we go on to Leeds then. Um, I mean, what, what do you make of, of Wakefield? Obviously, it, since the start of the season when they went on that long losing run, things have, have turned around and, and they're going pretty well at the moment. They are, yeah. I mean, I, d- I don't think I realistically expected them to beat Saints, <clears throat> excuse me, on Friday night, but uh, by all accounts, they put up a, a good show, you know, and it, Saints didn't run away with it at any time. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was a, a late try which kind of probably flattered Saints a bit, didn't it? But I think Wakey were always in the game without actually threatening to win it, which which was good in itself because, as you say, earlier in the season... And as we've said on here a few times, they were like playing half a game and then falling away in the second half or being too far down in the game and then coming back towards the end when it was too late. But they've certainly been a lot more consistent and, you know, with the return of key player, I know Tom Johnson and the likes are out again, but uh, they've had, you know, the likes of Jacob Miller, I think one of the thing, the problems was they, were, they weren't getting through the other team were there and uh, the likes of Miller have come back and they're a lot more creative and scoring more points now. And uh, so they beat Wigan, <laughs> which is always a bonus at any time for a club like Wakey. So they can't be that bad. And uh, I'm sure Salford will have had a real boost from scoring so many points against Cass, but Wakey will be a different proposition. And I, I fancy Wakefield to win uh, there. I think they can go there and that that's the sort of game as we've said in the past that we would expect Wakey to win and, and, I, and I think they're more than capable of doing so and uh, you know things are looking a lot better down there again now and uh, just still waiting to see whether Chris Chester's actually going to stay or not but other than that uh, the team seems a lot more settled and they're starting to bring players in for next year and uh, I think they have a good chance over at Salford. Uh, be looking forward to that one. Yeah, just looking, turning to Leeds, it's um, a rematch with Catalans, who won at Headingley last weekend. They won by a couple of scores, but it was it was an, one of those games that that was probably a bit more competitive than the the final scoreline or the second half suggests really. Le- Leeds were very good in the first half. We're 8-0 down early on and then hit back to lead 18-10 at half-time. Um, and considering it was the fourth game in 13 days, some of the first half it was very good. I think they just ran out of steam in the second half. And to their credit, Warrington were um, were dominant after the break. Um, the half-backs, Morg and Maloney, ran the show and Leeds never really once they went behind looked like getting the getting back um in, into the contest unfortunately but I don't think Leeds will have seen anything last week that that's made them think they can't beat Catalans. Catalans have got some players suspended um as have Leeds. Leeds are starting to get some players back from injury. There might be a couple available who didn't play last week. They've had a, a full week's build up or they will have had a full week's build up. Um, they've actually managed to train together as a team this week for the first time in, in nearly a month. And that'll benefit them. It's going to be difficult. It's, the temperature's going to be pretty warm in Perpignan on Friday evening. It, it always is in July. There's the travel 
to factor in as well. But um, and the fact that Catalans are on an eight-game winning run, which is a club record. But I think Leeds can can go there and, and give it a good good shot and, and see what happens. You'd you'd probably expect Catalans to win it. They've Leeds's record over there recently isn't great, but um, I like what I've seen from this Leeds team in some matches recently. There's a good spirit, and I think if they can go there and play well, they've they've certainly got a chance of coming away with the result. Yeah, in the build-up to the game last week, we spoke about the schedule Leeds have been under and the players, <laughs> players who have been available and not and having to drop out and so on for different reasons are coming back from COVID. And we felt that Leeds might just run out of steam heading the last week, and, and so it proved. But I did manage to see that game. And as you say, in the first half, Leeds were the better team with nothing to fear, really. But you just felt as the game went on and Catalan got more possession that that tiredness that we feared would uh, eventually overcome Leeds and, and that's how it proved. And uh, once Catalan got on a bit of a roll in the second half there, there was on, only really going to be one winner, but there was certainly no disgrace in the defeat for Leeds. And as we've said a few times this year, the schedule is ridiculous for all clubs, but it's been worse for some more than others. And uh, what really else could you expect when... <laughs> You know, Leeds were playing that again, and some of the players, you know, in key positions like Dwyer have been playing like full games, you know, <laughs> in that period as well. It's not even that they've been getting a break during the games, they've been playing 80 minutes, having a few days off, and coming back and doing it again. And something's got to give in the end, and, and it did there. And I think this weekend again, uh, the various factors will probably weigh against Leeds with the travel and the heat. And uh, the suspensions, which, I mean, I watched that game and uh, said to you just before we came on air, I, d I didn't really see any incidents that would concern me to the the fact that players were going to get suspended out of it. And it uh, seems our old friends at the disciplinary uh, seem to have done it again, don't they? particularly within regard to Leeds. Uh, they've lost a, few, a lot of players to suspension for various reasons this season, some of which has been deserved, but... Other which certainly seems to have been over the top on the grand scale of things and when you look at other similar incidents. Well, I, I just think it's getting ridiculous. Um, as we're speaking, I believe, Sione Matautia, the Saints players appealing against um, two separate one-match bans for high tackles in the, um, in the game against Wakefield. It's very rare that any player gets banned before Wembley. <laughs> as a disciplinary panel, would you want to, to sit in judgment as the, either the match review panel or the disciplinary panel and tell somebody, well, no, you can't play at Wembley? I certainly wouldn't want to do it. I would expect Matauti to win his appeals, but we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But every club in the game is struggling to raise a team at the moment because of injuries. And because of COVID, there are a lot of injuries in the sport, largely due to the um, the physical nature of the game and the ridiculous fixing schedule. We've also got COVID. We've got people who've either got COVID or people who are having to miss games because they're isolating because other people have got COVID. Leeds, very late on last week, lost, um, lost a couple of players 
due to um, due to having to isolate. Ash Hanley was was all set to play, and, and Leeds had a different lineup to the one that um, turned out in the game, and and they had to change it because Hanley was was ruled out at um, at very late notice. And the match review panel are looking at these games and are banning people for incidents which aren't worth a ban. Yeah. The the Reece Martin incident, if you, it's floating around on um, on the internet, have a look at it. There's no way what what he did was worth a ban. The other week, Alex Meller got a one-match ban for physical contact with a match referee. Again, it wasn't worth a ban. The the players are digging deep, clubs are digging deep, teams are digging deep to fulfil fixtures. And, and it just seems to me that the match review panel are making it harder for them to do that. I mean, I know they've got a job to do and it's not an easy job, but I think they've got to be a bit more realistic about who they're suspending. People want to see the best players playing matches and nobody wants to see the best players banned. The referees clearly should be taking action on the field if we're getting all these suspensions dished out off it. Um, there was no t- action taken against Bodine Thompson during the game against Catalans, the Leeds forward. Um, he subsequently got a three-match ban. Well, you know, somebody's not doing the job properly there, are they, on, on the field? And retrospective bans don't... What, what good do they do? Yeah. They don't... Um, if a player is injured in a foul tackle um, and the perpetrator of the foul tackle isn't sent off but gets a three-match ban afterwards, the the team, the victim team, don't benefit from that at all. They lose out. I, I just think it's a nonsense the way it's been handled at the moment. I know a lot of people in the game are thinking this as well. I'm not casting aspersions on the match review panel at all because they're doing they're doing their job. I just don't think it's a. I just don't think it's a, a fair system. Also, the fact that players are being banned without having an opportunity to to put their evidence or to put their side of things is is unfair as far as I'm concerned. Players are being players are being told that, oh, you did this, you're guilty, you're um you're suspended. And if they appeal and say, well, let me put my side of the case, they run the risk of the ban being increased, which happened to um to who was it? It was um Liam Watts, I think, wasn't it? The, the other week he yes. appealed. Yes he did, yeah. His, his ban was doubled. Well that's not justice, is it? He he should be allowed if he's going to be punished, he should be allowed to be to put his defence yeah. before, before the sentence is handed out. That's how it works in um, in most forms of justice. I just I'm just really frustrated with it. I'm frustrated at the number of cases that are being um, that are being brought by the match review panel and the number of players that are missing games at a time when the sport's struggling to fulfil fixtures. I'm frustrated at the number of. Um, of players that are being suspended, I, I just, I just think the sport needs to take a look at itself and um, and just think about whether it's doing the right thing because because it isn't. It is rugby league is a contact sport. Nobody wants to see cheap shots, and we don't get very much of that. Some of these um, some of these bans are being handed out for offences that are not worth players missing a match for, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, as you say there, if we start off with Matautia, who obviously will be hoping to play against his brother at Wembley, Peter from Castleford. Um, he's played against Wakefield. He's 
transgressed allegedly twice and, and being given a match for each, which is, as you say, unusual in itself. And even more unusual that he wasn't actually punished at the time for it because if he'd done it bad once, then certainly the second time he should have either been binned or warned or whatever or, or red-carded if the referee thought that his playing was out of control. Uh, but it doesn't benefit. Chris Chester said this himself, hasn't it, at previous times during the season. Wakefield gained nothing by him missing out at Wembley. The player doesn't. St Helens don't. Castleford do, arguably. But then the Matauti, for a daft point, but the Matauti family miss out on a special moment as well. And, you know, it, you, know you would think that today, why, why not say the touch judges say, you know, have a word with the ref and say, you know, this guy's, that was a bad challenge or whatever, take action now or the video referee or whatever, rather than this uh, punishment, you know, in a court of law at a later date, which doesn't seem to be consistent to say the least. And as you say, with the appeal system, uh, you know, Liam Watts was ordered to be thrashed and then ordered to be shot on appeal. You know, there's no justice at all in that, you know, just madness, you know, and so supposedly frivolous. Um, is the word they use usually, isn't it? Well, you know, in most systems of justice, there's a process whereby you can appeal, but, uh, you know, to use the word frivolous about it uh, seems a bit stupid, in my opinion, you know, that everybody's entitled to an appeal. Yeah, if the appeal's turned down, then, you know, you're still banned for a match, but you shouldn't have another match thrown on top for exercising your rights to appeal against the original punishment. And we should stress as well, out of that Leeds game, that two Catalan players were banned as well, weren't they? Joel Tompkins and James Maloney. It wasn't just Leeds players, but from from my watching of the game and the commentary on it, you you wouldn't have walked away from that game thinking, oh, well, you know, the disciplinary are going to be busy with this week and, you know, several guys are going to have the book thrown at them and miss a few games. Uh, you just didn't seem that kind of game at all. Um, well, I, I think there were a couple of tackles in, in that game, maybe more than a couple, which were worth a sin bin. I don't think there was anything worth a red card, personally, um, and nothing worth players missing future games for. And and the sin binning that was, um, the yellow card that was shown against Sam Cassiano was... was well, he shouldn't have been. Yeah, he was um, he was simbin for a for a high tackle, and and it just, in my opinion, it wasn't worth a yellow card. There's just so much inconsistency about what's a sending off offence, what's a yellow card offence, what's a red card offence. Um, I think it all needs it all needs sorting out. Um, and and you know, I, I genuinely think it's the sort of thing that puts people spectators off the game. Yeah, I mean, I. Came to me while we were talking that, particularly at the moment when clubs are struggling to get teams on the field, uh, you know, if somebody has done something that's sure worthy of a match ban or whatever, you find them instead, or or find uh, you know, say in the example of Thompson, ban him for one game and suspend two, and tell him that you know if he does come back for a similar offence in the next few games, then those are the two games you know, be suspended for those as well and keep players in line like that, you know, with suspended sentences and fines rather than just banning them outright at a time when uh, teams just can't afford to, to lose anymore from the ranks. And then you get younger players being brought in to replace them and 
maybe the quality of the games and so on go down as a result. And again, it's just all part of the vicious circle, isn't it? You know, it's supposed to be an entertainment game and people are paying good money to watch it. And yet the best players are being taken away from the games for things which really don't seem worth uh, banning them for. But we've, <laughs> we've discussed that several times and I'm sure we'll come back to it several times again before we're done, Peter, but uh, it's always worth to getting it out there anyway. <laughs> and I think on that note, perhaps we'll leave it for this week and wish Castleford, Featherston and York all the best at Wembley. Uh, at least in the 1895, the Cup's definitely coming back to Yorkshire and let's hope that Castleford can do that too. Just my weekly reminder that you can get the very latest Rugby League news, Challenge Cup build-up, reports on the Challenge Cup and everything else from Peter's Twitter account at PetersmithYEP, my own at Richard Byron YEP, or the sports desks at YEP Sport and YP Sport. In addition to that, you can hear this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Google and other platforms. And you can hear it also on selected stories on our Rugby League section of the YorkshireEveningPost.co.uk website. So all that's left for me to do now is thank Peter again for his comments and hopefully we'll be back soon.